Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and other experts in the food and beverage industry about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. There is no denying that vegan is on the rise, with consumers looking for more plant-based options and manufacturers rising to meet that demand with a wide variety of new products some of which are even aimed at and successfully winning over carnivores and omnivores. Let's take a look at some of the stats and milestones that happened in 2016. According to Google Trend Data, in 2016, vegan was one of the top associated keywords in searches. Drilling down, Google found searches for vegan cheese were up 80% from the prior year, while searches for vegan mac and cheese were up 69%, vegan ice cream, 109%, and vegan chocolate, 86%. So clearly there's some real demand here and marketing potential. But to find out what's driving the spike in interest in vegan, as well as where there's still white space, where the trend is saturated, and how veganism will evolve in the future, I caught up with Andre Kocher, who along with Greg Blake co-founded Daya. Daya, as many of you know, is one of the first major manufacturers of a plant-based, dairy-free products, including cheddar-style and mozzarella-style shreds, which really revolutionized the category when they launched in 2009. Looking back at the industry when Daya first launched, Andre described how drastically and quickly the vegan industry has changed in the past eight years, and how two guys in two kitchens helped uncover and meet a pent-up, unmet need. Back in 2008 and 9, it was a very different scene from what we see today. And it's uh, uh, ultimately going back even further than that. The further back you go, the more sort of uh, unused the word vegan is. And and certainly plant-based has become sort of a modern, almost replacement for for vegan in, in many ways because of some of the baggage that vegan has uh, had associated with it from the early days. And, and part of that is because back then, the products that were, you know, what we call plant-based were really, um, you'd have to be quite desperate to, to try to consume them. And so people would, you know, there were plenty of vegetarians and, and vegans that were eating beans and rice and so on. But when you wanted to eat like everybody else, and really that's what we've learned at Dea really what most people want to do is they, they just want to eat what everybody else is eating and not be deprived and singled out as, as oh, you can't have this, you can't have that. So back then, when they would try to um, try a cheese or even, you know, meat analogs and so on, it would often be very, very disappointing. And so that's why Dea came about. I was actually, uh, even before I met Craig, um, I was always hungering for, a, you know, a cheese that I could use on pizza and and just use for all the things that everybody was using cheese for. And I would always try the latest new uh, that would come out, and it would say new and improved, new brands. Back then there was, I think, Galaxy and Vegan Rella, um, I think even Tofuti back then. Anyways, the um, what would happen is that it was just very unpalatable, and you'd end up having spent good money on something you'd have to throw away or gift to friends, and they would throw it away. And it just wasn't... Uh, anything that would grow the category. And the category back then was uh, called soy cheese or cheese alternatives. It's really, it was all soy-based. And it was, um, 
to make matters even more confusing, the soy cheeses were often still dairy-based, milk-based products. They were literally, milk protein was the second ingredient after water. And they'd be sold under soy cheese and even rice cheese. And and it was a coagulated milk protein product with a little bit of soy beverage or rice beverage in it. So you wouldn't have the lactose, um, but you'd still have the milk protein, and it would still be an animal, animal-based animal product. So what, uh, what we wanted to do was be the first plant-based product that had no animal ingredients in it whatsoever. It was lactose-free, cholesterol-free, and dairy-free. Anybody could eat it. It didn't even have soy in it. And we thought, let's make it uh, convenient in a shredded form because it melts so well. And and back then, there there were no shreds ready to go in a bag. We thought, wouldn't it be nice if you just dump the shreds onto a pizza or a quesadilla and, and just go from there? There were a few blocks, and like I said, the problems with them, but no shreds. So... Um, you know, with some early at- attempts and a, l- a lot of work way back, going all the way back to 2003 part-time, and then, I, you know, I even tried to license some uh, an early Havarti technology that melted nicely. I tried to license that to Hain Celestial, and they were very interested, but I, I kind of withdrew because I was concerned about, you know, maybe an outcome not, you know, not not basically... Well, you know, in the licensing, you just don't know what a big company is going to do to a little old inventor, right? So I was a product developer. So eventually, when I met, uh, when I took it to Greg, um, he said, "Well, let's let's approach this like a tech startup, raise a bunch of money, and scale the business really quickly, and let's target mozzarella and cheddar." So we worked independently, Greg and I. We we would work in separate kitchens from the first sort of shareholder money that we raised through friends and family, you know, penny stock venture. And we worked for more than a year, each of us, in our own kitchens, and we would switch and tag team back and forth each week to develop the uh, the mozzarella shred and the cheddar shred. And that, that's when we put it into food service um, to test it out, see if, if the restaurants would think it was uh, decent and something they would want to order. We tried the very first Expo West uh, uh, to just to find out whether people liked what we had developed. And to our surprise... It, it effectively turned into a frenzy of a black market. It was just incredible. We we sold out at Expo West. We weren't supposed to be there because we didn't have a retail product, and nobody really goes there. Well, back then in 2008 and 9 was a food service item, but it was so um, well received that the 900 uh, you know flatbed crusts and the 240 volt commercial pizza oven we took there, we served thousands and thousands of slices. And we got Amy's from Amy's Kitchen to come by, and they then uh, agreed to start using it on some of their, you know, retail products. And Whole Foods came by, and next thing you know, um, our five-pound bags of shreds that we're shipping to the restaurant industry are being bought by Whole Foods and other retailers, and they're actually opening the bags up and pouring them into little, you know, uh, small retail containers with a snap lid, putting a tiny label on there that says Day of Vegan Cheese and selling it at retail. And that was a problem for us because we couldn't control the, the quality of it once, you know, it's in a little package and somebody's been rehandling it and repackaging it. So but basically it was partly available. And so what we found was that the pizzerias we were selling to, they were selling Ziploc bags of the cheese to customers that would come in just for the cheese because it wasn't available. And uh, I remember a story, our, our, one of our sales guys was in New York, and there was a sandwich board on the sidewalk. He was walking down the street, and it said, Dea, with an arrow going down some dark, sketchy stairs. That's all it said. 
So we went down, and there was a pizzeria down there, and there were people coming out as he was going in, and there were people lined up. And he said, he called us up, he said, you're not going to believe this, that, that there's like a black market, an underground market for the for the day of cheese because they can't get it at retail. So that's basically how how we started. And we remember the stories of loyal customers that they would drive for hours and hours to find a store that had it, and then they would load up and put it in their freezer. So those were the early days of, of vegan cheese. And, and I accredit that, Greg and myself, to the fact that there was massive pent-up demand and nobody was manufacturing anything to meet those consumers' unmet needs. And so then when something comes along, it's like a dam breaking. But obviously you're not just in food service anymore. You offer a whole portfolio of packaged products. Can you talk a little bit about what you offer now and how that's evolved from when you started? Absolutely. What happened was the category back then was flat and in decline, and nobody wanted to invest. And so when we did manage to procure the investment uh, dollars, what we did is we built the category, and now the category is, is expensive and populated with, you know, well, we're in about 24,000 stores alone, and we have the, uh, a whole host of dairy-free products. We've got, you know, uh, the yogurt and cheesecake and mac and cheese, uh, which is a world first being that it's an ambient product. It's shelf-stable, so it's a deluxe squeeze packet of our, you know, of our special cheese with whole grain brown rice uh, pasta. We're getting into plant-based nutrition where something like our mac and cheese will have whole grain brown rice pasta and six or, or five or six grams of protein in a serving. Our Greek yogurt-style yogurt is the only thick and rich, decadent, true Greek yogurt that's plant-based, and it's nutritionally equivalent in that it has eight grams of protein per serving, which is uh, very much like real yogurt in that front has calcium, we put active cultures in it, and it it actually even has fiber in it. Today, here we have, you know, all those items. Then we we were selling so much cheese for other people's pizzas, including Amy's, that uh, we decided, well, maybe we should have, maybe it's time to have our own line of pizzas, and why can't we be the first to do it on a gluten-free crust with a dairy-free cheese with no egg, because all the gluten-free crusts have egg in them, and, and... make that taste, you know, as good an experience so that there isn't the compromise you'd expect. And we were the, the first to do that. And the interesting thing is that the, according to the U.S. FDA, the allergen list, the top allergens, the first allergen, the most, the most cases of, of uh, reported cases of, of reaction, allergic reaction, is milk. And the second one is eggs. And so when you take the milk and the eggs out of any product that's a mainstream uh, staple category commodity and and you take those allergens out and you take the cholesterol out and you take the lactose out and you give them something that nobody's making for them then what we found is the consumer rewards you by telling all their friends about what they've discovered and you know often these are purchasing influences where one person in the family uh, can't have lactose or, or or is allergic to milk protein or egg and that whole family will order a pizza from whichever pizzeria happens to have an option for them that's very free. And that we found in, in you know, that the retail customer then, um, the two stoke each other. So people have never heard of Dea, and they have this experience at a branded food service proprietor ordering a pizza. They love it, then they go to the store to find Dea. Or they fall in love with Dea at the store, and their favorite restaurant doesn't have anything they can eat. And so they... 
you know, they almost demand, they, they beg the proprietor to start carrying data. So food service has been a big part of where we came from, and it's still today is probably 20% of, of our, you know, business, despite being in 20, 23 or 24,000 retailers. I mean, as your portfolio has grown and diversified, the category as a whole also has. I mean, we're no longer seeing vegan or plant-based cheeses sort of shoved in the shadows of that one aisle nobody wants to go down. Can you talk about the changes that you've seen in the competitive landscape and in the retail outlets in the past seven years? Now what we're seeing is we're seeing all kinds of diverse offerings from small niche companies, niche brands that are are garnering exclusives with companies like Whole Foods. Whole Foods will even invest in some of them and in in trade get exclusive shelf space. And that puts pressure on the originators like ourselves to make sure that we have products that deliver and compete and keep on, you know, leading the category. So we're seeing hemp, cashew, almond, all of these alternatives, pea protein. Um, it's just it's tons of coconut, an explosion of coconut. So we're seeing, you know, yogurts made out of cashews and, and almonds and little companies doing artisan-type, um, cheese-type resemblances with cultured and fermented nuts and so on. Now, for Dea, we don't use the nuts because we're trying to be free of the top eight allergens, and our products are all free of those allergens. Um, but it doesn't mean that people that, you know, can't consume those wouldn't enjoy the, the taste of some of these new, innovative, plant-based products. So seeing this explosion of um, change in the marketplace, you know, what I think is interesting is it's been nine years or 10 years to sort of get to this point. But if we take a closer look at just in the past year, Google data shows that searches for vegan cheeses are up 80%. This is just from last year. I mean, what's really driving the consumer interest here? Is it that there are more choices or, or is there other factors? Big driving factors. This has been... Uh, what we predicted from the very beginning, which is why we always formulated our products to be free of all animal ingredients. Um, Elizabeth, the big driving factors, uh, like I say, they haven't changed, which is three buckets that they, they fit into. First one is the environment. So there are green consumers, what you call conscientious consumers. That's what we used to call them way, way back. That's a consumer who, if they can, will choose a choice that's that's conscientious, it's green, it's it's, uh, there's an awareness of the environmental impact for resources, land, water, carbon dioxide, methane, soil acidification, desertification of, of cropland, um, all of those things. And then the next one is health. So people that are concerned about cholesterol and blood pressure and Western diseases that might be associated with some of the Western eating habits. And, you know, it wasn't long ago where we would all be told, hey, make sure you get your five, six, seven glasses of milk a day, and it's a, a very unique thing for a, a society to be so uh, hitched to essentially the udder of, of another mammal. And, and so now people are, uh, with with the digital era, they're able to, to have access to all kinds of information that's independent from, you know, lobbied marketing materials where, where there's a, a, a gain at the end of, uh, where it's, it's not balanced. So this access to this information means people are taking their food choices very seriously and they're associating their energy, health, and well-being with what they choose to put in their bodies. And then the, the third is, um, I believe, honestly, it's the, the um, compassion and well-being of animals. What I've noticed is that 
many, many uh, in this generation and the, the new generations coming up, there are far fewer people having children, especially if they're a, a little bit more um, affluent and if they're doing well. They, they consider the choice for children very carefully. And those same people are booming with the pets, the dogs and the cats. So there are more, the pet industry, I would guess, is much larger than it ever was. And so what that shows is people are bonding to animals. And when they bond to animals, they see the personalities and they love their pets and they start thinking about what they're eating and that those are also animals. And they say, you know what, if I can be kind to animals at the same time, get what I want to eat and it tastes great, I'll always choose the compassionate choice. And when we named Dea, it turns out that, uh, you know, Dea Deliciously Dairy Free, um, what it actually means in Sanskrit um, is loving, kindness, and compassion. Where do you see room for development and growth? Well, the, the challenge that I always put forward to people that ask that question is to uh, take a one or two week or maybe even a month if, if the person feels strong enough to do it, try to do uh, uh, what they call, they used to call them vegan challenges, but a plant-based challenge. And that's where you try to renovate your household and when you go uh, out to dinner to um, not allowing anything that comes from an animal. So full plant-based, uh, uh, basically it's a test. And what you'll find if you do that now is that if you shop at Whole Foods and, and some of the natural markets and even some of the store insets, natural sets, and big guys like Kroger's and Publix and so on, you can find quite a, quite a few retail plant-based uh, products that deliver. You can have, you know, there's a bunch of them certainly, and there are a few others out there, but you can get a lot of the foods. But what you can't do is anywhere near have the selection that your friends will have as they share a meal with you, either in a restaurant or at home. You pick up the menu of even a very forward, innovative restaurant, and you will be lucky if you can find anything other than salad that a plant-based eater can eat. And usually the dressing will still be egg and dairy-based. So we're trying to change that. Um, but, you know, you can usually find a veggie burger. That's something, for whatever reason, the veggie burger's been around since the 70s, and it's just a generally accepted rule that every pub and restaurant should at least have a veggie burger. But what is so frustrating about that is that the veggie burgers are typically made of soy and gluten, and, and sometimes they have egg. And those are the top, you know, those are three large allergens. And the main thing is, when you order a veggie burger, you're not ordering it because you're allergic um, to beef. Um, you're, you're doing it because it's a, a choice. You're a vegetarian and you say, you know, I would rather have a veggie burger. But when it comes to dairy, the consumer that wants the grilled cheese sandwich or the pizza or they're, you know, they're at the ski resort or the theme park and they're trying to be like everybody else, and the menu has nothing that they can actually eat, even if they wanted to. And then to, to top it off, they often can't even have the veggie burger because they're sensitive to soy gluten. So really, there's a choice, and there's a nice-to-have, and then there's a, a must-have. And where the category will go and where I see it going is that you'll be able to walk into a Domino's or a Burger King or a Subway and at the subway, you'll be able to have a veggie sandwich, and that veggie sandwich will actually have a dairy-free cheese on it, and it'll be nutritious and delicious and tasty. And right now, the veggie sandwiches, whether you go to a Tim Hortons or a Subway or, or wherever you go, they are inevitably lettuce, cucumber, and tomatoes, and cheese. The veggie sandwich is a cheese sandwich, and when you take the cheese off, you're left with 
lettuce, tomatoes, and cucumber. And what we need is the veggie sandwich to become a veggie sandwich where the cheese is dairy-free and plant-based and is truly a veggie sandwich. And for the pizza, for them to have an option that is ubiquitous with the veggie burger so that a family that wants to go to Domino's and order a pizza, that they're not faced with, I'm sorry, we have a gluten-free crust, but as far as the cheese, no, you have to have milk-based cheese. Or here's something for you. We'll make a pizza with no cheese. And that's like a burger with no burger. It just doesn't deliver. Anywhere where there's a mass format, uh, you can see our ability and potential to go. Something that, you know, hasn't been done before. Is that cheese sticks? Is it cheese string? Is it uh, stuffed ravioli or lasagna? And wherever, when you try this challenge, if you do, wherever you just find everything's missing and, and you just there's nothing for you to eat, that's where Dea's going to pop up. Because Dea is a privately held business, Andre couldn't share specific sales figures, but he noted that every two years since the company launched, it's doubled its revenues. So clearly, the brand's innovations continue to meet unmet consumer needs. And if the plant-based food and beverage trend in general continues on its current trajectory, there clearly will be more room for ongoing growth in the future, not only for Daya, but for other newcomers to the category as well. This will be our last episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast this year as we pause to celebrate the season. But I'll be back in 2017 with more trend spotting and marketing strategies to share, and I hope that you will join me. Until then, I hope you have a happy holiday season. This is Elizabeth Crawford signing off. <laughs>